Ladies, at Essentia Health, you're not just a patient. You're a partner in your healthcare journey. We'll get to the heart of your health questions, even the ones you're embarrassed to ask. We'll find solutions to fit your unique needs and lifestyle, because here, we're in it together. Feel confident in your care and in yourself. Schedule a women's health appointment with an Essentia Health provider today. Click the banner to learn more. Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows that we do here at the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. We do a lot of them, up to seven shows a week. Go check your uh, podcast feeder or pod, uh, majorspoilers.com under their podcast section to see them all. And if you like those shows, and if you're not already, you become can become a Major Spoilers member and support all these shows at patreon.com slash majorspoilers. Thank you in advance. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, stalking the night like a vampire, be blah, 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 yes. Hi. But Morbius will drink your blood, Satana will sell your soul, there's a ton of text, the Legion's in the future, the Avengers are in space, Atlantis is in the ocean, and now an Emerson, Lake, and Palmer riff. Weedly, weedly, weedly. We'll also wrap up the virtual San Diego Comic-Con, discuss the issues of the day, and get that thing I sent you. So roll out the barrel, double up on the juice, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 885 of the Major Spoilers podcast. All vampires later, and literally... I, th- I think the book that we're reviewing later, Vampire Tales, the whole book is so much more interesting if you do it in that fake vampire mm-hmm. accent. It is so much more fun. I believe we could do the fun. whole show talking like No, I don't are. think we need to do it, but it makes the no, book reading should. so much more interesting when we do Bela it. Lugosi hey, so we don't I have... I kind of tend to drift into like a Super Mario thing yeah. from that. That's a, that's a real issue. Hey! I, don't, I, don't I want to suck your blood. I'm hey. not able to stop between. There's like a triangle that's like Dracula, Super Mario, and like the Lucky Charms Leprechaun, and I just kind of drift between the three when I try to what? do any of them. Yeah. How does that even happen? You cannot. My Lucky Charms. Paisano. That's nothing to like that. You're out of your mind. I would. I would encourage everyone to check out the Major Spoilers pre-show where we talk all about uh, representation and stuff. Uh, it's really a fascinating discussion. You'll want to go check that out. You'll also hear a very brief appearance by Ashley Victoria Robinson, who may or may not be in this week's show. You got some crazy things going on at her apartment. Go check the pre-show for that. In the meantime, let's talk about the San Diego Comic Con. Hey, did you know that there was a San Diego Comic Con, Rodrigo? Wow. You know, they can't do it in the time of COVID. So they took the right. whole thing online. It it goes to show what I'm keyed into online that my my first real moment of like, oh, San Diego Comic-Con is going on right now was Keanu Reeves talking about uh, Bill and Ted face the music. Yeah. And I was like, San Diego Comic-Con is happening right now. Yeah, no, really, seriously. That's I mean, it really was that way. I mean. Normally, in a normal year, the weeks leading up to San Diego Comic-Con, I am super busy because we are flooded with early announcements from publishers that understand that they're going to be drowned by the big two. So we get Boom and IDW and all these people that are sending out press releases saying, hey, here's what we're going to be talking about at the show. Here's going to be our big announcements. Either hold it now or run it now, blah, 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 blah. But this year, it was just like, 
man, I haven't even looked at the schedule of what panels they're doing in the time of COVID. And when you look, they had a lot of panels going on. Uh, they had a great uh, variety of panels that were there. Of course, they had a few panels that were focused on like Bill and Ted and Star Trek and oh, a couple of other uh, big movie people things. Uh, Charlize Theron did one that was really interesting. Um, video games too. Yeah, some video game stuff, but they also did all these really smaller panels. There was a lot of panels that were like, oh, as an independent comic book creator, how do you work in the time of COVID? Or how do we deal with pandemics uh, in as a business? And so there are a lot of panels like this. But then also I, what I what I found was this also gave the uh, people of color and sexual different sexual orientations, the LGBTQA community, um, a chance to get their panels maybe seen by a lot more people. So we saw a lot more diversity in subject matter than maybe what we would have seen in previous uh, seasons before. And so what I did is I'm not going to do a, a, a panel wrap up because there's really not going to be anything announced at any of these things. Yeah. Um, and so what I did was I created, I call it the, um, a, what did I call it the last week, Matthew? It's, it's the, a uh, collection of Comic-Con conversations, a, a curated collection of Comic-Con conversations. Nice. Essentially, yeah, if I like were to go the, to the uh, con, alliteration. yeah, alliterations, key to quality literature, kids, uh, that if I were to go to the con, what are some of the panels that I wanted to go see? I think there was only one time that I was like, in the same hour, there were two panels that I would have gone to, and so I posted both of those. But I went through the day and said, okay, in this hour block, which is the one that's most interesting to me, that's the one I'm going to put up on the Major Spoilers website. Even though you may have wanted to go see the the new mutants panel again, no, no news on when anything's coming out. You did get to see a little bit of, of the first uh, couple of minutes of the movie, but you know, nothing big, nothing exciting. Um, but maybe you wanted to sit down and see, well, how is the, what do you prefer? Rodrigo, uh, Latina, Latino, or the, what is it? Latinx, uh, Latinx. Latinx. Yeah. What do you prefer? So, um, it's, I would say the safest one is to say Latinx right now, Yeah, but, we're still talking about it. We just had a meeting. You know, we're <laughs> we're like thinking of like moving on to something else, but we just got white people on board. So let's go with Latinx right now. Okay. So the the Latinx uh, panels, you know, what, what representation or how do you break into comics? There were lots of panels on uh, tabletop gaming and how to create panels or write a book and get into the industry. So there was a lot of that stuff that I thought got to rise to the top. Um, beyond the Bill and Ted panel rodrigo did you watch any others did you attempt to go out and check anything else out no no i just saw i just saw clips of stuff that uh cropped up on social media i didn't really i didn't really seek it out okay what about you uh, matthew no i didn't either i mean i saw the stuff that was coming up on the site but i didn't sit mm -hmm. and watch entire panels so i kind of would you know check through and maybe swerve it uh you know I spent most of last week not feeling particularly well oh, anyway, sure. so I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, so let me kind of give you a rundown of what a lot of these panels were like. Welcome to today's Zoom meeting. Can you hear me okay? What about you, Bill? Can you hear me okay? Uh, <laughs> Susie, are you coming in okay? So it was a lot of that. A lot of the ones that I watched felt very much like you're watching just a Zoom meeting that people are hosting on their own Google Hangouts or on their own Zoom or on their own YouTube channel. Things we could have done at Major Spoilers and made look maybe I don't want to put anybody down. But um, if people are expecting Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con to be this this crown jewel of Comic-Cons, um, unfortunately, a lot of the technology limitations kind of took that shine off of that. Um, so they were kind of dry. 
Um, the other big complaint was interaction in that very few panels had any interaction with anybody watching. A lot of the panels were pre-recorded sometimes weeks ahead of time uh, so that they could just pop up on the YouTube channel when it was, when it was ready. Uh, so that was a kind of a limitation from a number of people's points of view. The media would have you say that San Diego Comic-Con was a bust, that it was the worst thing that could have ever happened to the convention. Um, I can see their points in that, yes, you don't have all the people in San Diego generating money. The media's biggest complaint about San Diego Comic-Con, when I say the media, I'm talking about anyone not in the comics uh, sphere, comic sphere, blogosphere. Uh, because there wasn't a Warner Brothers panel. There wasn't a Marvel panel. There oh, wasn't a Disney right. panel. There wasn't all these star-filled panels. You still had some TV show panels, uh, but again, it was all pre-recorded. And so from mainstream media's point of view, this thing was a joke. That they should not have even done it. But then again, they had there was well over 100 panels. There's 100 plus hours of content that you can watch right now over at the San Diego Comic-Con website. And you can check that out. I don't remember what the highest, what the panel was that had the most views. But as of this recording, the media is reporting one of the panels had over 200,000 views. It may have been that new mutants panel. Could be. Over 200,000 views, Matthew. Let me ask you, how many people can they fit in the San Diego uh, Convention Center? 14. No, they can, they can, I think it's 150,000 is what the Convention Center supports. The new mutants panel would have been in hall H, which would have been about 2000. I want to say maybe that's what that one seats. I forget what the max capacity is. 200,000 people watched the new mutants panel alone. I think the lowest viewed panel probably still had something like 10,000, 5,000 to 10,000 views. Mm -hmm. Now you tell me, is that a success? I guess it depends on how you look at it. I mean, if you're looking at the actual eyes watching it, absolutely. If you're looking at, can we get this material out? Did we have a Comic-Con to release this information? Absolutely, it's a success. The question is, when we're dealing with, and you know, you and I have, have butted heads on this before, when we're dealing with the hidebound thought processes of Hollywood, is a essentially a glorified Zoom call as cool as being in a hall with fewer people who might have excuse. Yeah. And so that you're, you're right. That does get down to this idea of what does success mean to you. Um, but I guess my point of view when I'm looking at this is so many people are upset. And I, and when I say so many people, I mean, people, comics fans are upset that comic cons have become nothing more than big media events for Warner brothers to come down and do their PR for their latest thing or Marvel to do their latest PR for their next big movie or TV show or whatever it is. And those things, Harry Potter comes in or uh, um, the Goldbergs had a panel this year at the San Diego comic-con. Um, yeah. Why, you know, what, what does that have to do with comic books? Uh, arguments aside, follow with me here for a minute. And that people wanted something that was more pure comics. Well, this year they got more pure comics and even though there may not have been interactions in all of the panels or any of the panels or just a few of the panels, I think 5,000 people being able to sit down and looking at your, your Latinx uh, representation in pop culture compared to the 100 people or maybe the 50 people that would have actually been able to see that panel at San Diego Comic-Con had it happened, mm. I think that's a huge success. Yeah, and, and really that's what 
that's what all of these events that have had to move to online end up doing, right? It's like, first off, they make it easier for everyone to attend. And it means that smaller panels, smaller things, things that would have kind of had to compete with eyeballs with larger stuff, get pretty much the same treatment because it's it's like actively hard to bury something when you have, you know, 12 panels in one day. Or, mm-hmm. 12 or, panels or in one hour. Lot, yeah, or for a lot of events, a lot fewer. And it's like everything's going to come up when it comes up and people are going to be like, oh. They're talking about the new mutants, and people are going to be like, oh, it's like representation in media. I'm interested in this. So what would have normally been a much smaller panel in some other room, right. you know, far away from Hall H, is now, you know, you can't you can't put a big Hall H. I mean, you could potentially, but it, it's like it, it democratizes everything mm-hmm. else about mm-hmm. it and makes it easier for people to access it. And what it does is it kind of has this normalizing effect where like the big like the big announcements or what would normally I guess what in this case is a big announcement um, gets doesn't get as many eyeballs as they would have hoped. But literally everything else gets way more than they would have if they had been in a show that you have to pay for and that then you have to manage your time to go see. Mm-hmm. And I think that, get, that gets back to your question, Matthew, on people's definition of, of uh, you know, success of, you know, <laughs> was it successful because you didn't have Marvel having 20 different panels and telling you what their next big, uh, you know, next month solicitations were going to be or the October solicitations, essentially reading from the previews catalog uh, versus, you know, one Marvel panel where they're like, hey, here's what we're doing as a business and here are things that we're doing and here are some things that you might be interested going forward, but we didn't have to have five days of of the, here's everything that's happening in October with Spider-Man. Right, and to some degree, I feel like any expectation of failure is going to be an expectation of, we didn't get to go, we didn't get to be in the convention center, people didn't come together and right. had the big event. Yes. But the big event was still there, and the things that would have happened happened differently. But the fact that something happened at all, I feel like should be lauded. It's something yes. that, you know, especially in, in times when it's hard to, you know, do something simple from hour to hour, this type of coordination is still complicated. Even if you pre-recorded everything weeks in advance putting it out there, getting it to people and saying, this is the Comic-Con we have and we're going to have this Comic-Con now. That took work, and I feel like that should be considered a success mm-hmm. unto itself, especially mm-hmm. when so many other shows are just like, we're not we're not doing this and we don't know when we're coming back. Yeah, no. Now, here's the other good thing. San Diego Comic-Con could have tried to make this exclusive. They could have put all of their videos behind a, um, not a subscription wall, but at least a mailing list wall where you had to sign up for this free virtual ticket so you could get access to, you know, 25 panels um, so that you could see that. And then they could have also just taken those videos down immediately after the show so that nobody had access to that content. But guess what? You can still go and watch 100 hours of comic book discussion over at the San Diego Comic-Con website. So I'm hoping San Diego, one of the things that I've asked for years is that the not just Hall H stuff and, you know, they've been trying to stream here and there, and there's been a couple of companies and, and uh, YouTube channels that have been able to um, share those videos like 24 hours after the panel, but not like the trailers or anything like that. But I've been saying for years that 
at the very least, Comic-Con should get those microphones into those smaller panels where they're talking about how to create your your fantasy world for your next tabletop adventure. Get the microphones in there, record those programs with people that are knowledgeable, and then release that as a podcast for people to listen to. Sure, release it 24 hours later, 48 hours later, a week later, whatever. But then you have those panels that if people are subscribing to your podcast, yeah, you can get 100,000 downloads per episode. So I'm hoping what comes out of this is that Comic-Con sees some value in getting those panels recorded and getting them out there so that more than just 100 people can go and listen to interesting conversations. And so that's why I think that this is a big success. So if, if media outlets or other media outlets are poo-pooing the San Diego Comic-Con, which the unfortunate part was this was their 50th year. Um, the, you know, if people are poo-pooing the convention, I still think it's a success based on my view that Comic-Con has the word comic in it. Yeah. And so I think for that reason, personally for me, uh, that was a success. Mm. Any is other thoughts from you guys? something better than nothing? Yes. 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 Something is. is often better than nothing, which is why we are here each and every week for you <laughs> doing this show. You're going to get something. Maybe it's better than nothing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you just imply that I'm better than nothing? I mean, sure. Hurtful. I think I would rather hear your voice than hear nothing. Oh, see, see how that works, Matthew. That, not an no, insult. Oh, that that's, that's not, that's not friendly. It's uh, no, it totally is. I mean, it is for Steven. You gotta. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, what are your thoughts on this year's San Diego Comic-Con? Why don't you head over to the major spoilers discord and carry on this conversation. You can join the major spoilers discord server for free. There's a link. Uh, you can also link your Patreon account so that you can get access to secret channels, but it's totally free. You can find a link to our discord server in the show notes of this episode. Looks like Ashley's not going to make it to the show this week, but please do listen to, uh, to the pre-show discussion over at patreoncom slash major spoilers need to be a silver level member and higher. And we are literally $10 away from hitting a new secret goal that Matthew and I are, are tinkering around with $10 away. Can we do it before the end of this month? While we wait to find out if that happens, let's do some reviews. Reviews. Let us take a look at last week's Empire number two, which is uh, fascinating, Matthew, because Empire number three comes out this week. Uh, yeah. Today, as people are listening to this show. Exactly. Empire, I believe, is at least right now a weekly joint because Empire number one was last week. I reviewed it at our website, majorsports.com. But this is Empire number two. Now, if you're not familiar with the Empire... Here's the whole schmageggy. Are you ready? Once upon a time, there was a Kree Skrull war. Uh huh. Go on. The Kree fought the Skrulls uh-huh. in a war. Yeah. Now, how, 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 why, why, why do we care? Why, are, why is we as Earthlings care about this? Shh. Now they are united <laughs> under the command of Hulkling of the Young Avengers, who is half Kree and half Skrull. Oh. And has, why is he called Hulkling uh, if he's half Kree, half Skrull? Right. He's called Hulkling because he turned into a Hulk and was yeah. trying to look like a Hulk. But the Kree and the Skrulls, who have been this terrible threat, uh, apparently seemed to be on the warpath. And the uh, Kotati, which is a group of alien plant people, you may remember them from uh, the uh, lunch Celestial Messiah saga oh, about 20 uh-huh. years ago in, yeah, or sure. 40 years ago. Sure. Back in the Avengers, the Celestial Messiah saga, where the Katati came to Earth, chose Mantis as the mother of the Celestial Messiah. And the Celestial Messiah is now a grown-up 
an 18 year old and he's come to earth to say oh no the korean scrolls are going to kill us you guys oh 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 we are now going to turn the moon into a beautiful green garden of happiness and you can help us fight off the korean the scrolls and the avenger said sure and it turned out that the whole thing was a tremendous shrek because the Kotari are actually here to destroy all life in the entire universe. They want to destroy all non-plant-based life in the universe, including the Kree and the Skrulls, who, shocker, Vince McMahon swerve, are not actually the villains of the piece. So, in this issue, we get to see my the dad Avengers used to work, My trapped. dad used to work for a chemical company that developed Agent Orange. So the Avengers are in a trap. All I'm saying, just a little, you know, I, we can get are, rid of this pretty quickly. These are alien plants, though, that doesn't work on them. So three Avengers, Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man, are captured on the moon. The rest of the Avengers and the Fantastic Four are in deep space with the Hulkling. And one of the dead Avengers, the swordsman, who's been dead forever and ever and ever, is now back. But it turns out he's also an evil green Kotati as well. And the plan is to come and destroy the universe and have Earth be the new center of a new Kotati empire and everybody's going to die. This is actually tying together a bunch of plot lines going back to the incoming one shot and even before that. So stuff that would have been three or four months ago had there been a normal schedule and is now like eight months ago is all coming together into this big mess. And then, of course, uh, Avengers have to make hard decisions. Uh, Carol Danvers may or may not now be the latest uh, pursuer of the the Kree Empire, and uh, Hulkling may or may not have to come to Earth and decide which of his friends have to die, and Ghost Rider may or may not have actually possessed a spacecraft and turned it into his flaming Ghost Rider mobile. That's nice. pretty cool. Um, but uh, the Fantastic Four are also in this, and they're trying to figure out how they can get back to Earth and protect the Earth, but also they're trapped in space. It's interesting. Um, Al Ewing and Dan Slott, Slott does uh, Fantastic Four, and Ewing has done the last few Avengers crossovers, are working on this together. So it really does feel like an actual Honest to Pete crossover where Fantastic Four on one side, Avengers on the other side, and then weird stuff happens at the margins. Uh, Super Scroll is in this, in case you were wondering. You wow. Know, you might want a Super Scroll. Yeah. Oh, speaking yeah. of Super Scroll, just a plug for our good friends, Ookla the Mock. They do the uh, closing song at the end of this. Go check out their, uh, what is it, Super Secret album. Uh, you can find a link in show notes somewhere uh, on the Major Spoilers website. Uh, really a lot of fun. There's a song about the Super Scroll. Yeah. What the hell? He's Super Scroll. But... This issue is number two of six, so it's a lot of buildup, and we get to the end, and it ends with a sort of, oh, but it's really, really fun buildup. It's really, really strong, and I am not the person who says every big crossover is going to be fascinating and wonderful. I'm usually the guy who's like, oh, God, why are they doing this? Do I even want any part of this? And I said that about Empire before it started coming out. This issue reveals that one of the things that I really loved about the the uh, number zero issue with the Avengers, where I was like, this is either really wonderful or something is terribly wrong. Turns out something is terribly wrong. But the setup was done so well that I, genre savvy Matthew, who's read 17 Scramptillion comics, did not know for sure 
what was happening until this issue stamped it out and said, yup. And I really appreciate that. I like being surprised by a book. And there are three or four good surprises in the first two issues of Empire. This issue is not to me as good as number one, but that's not necessarily so much a quality thing as it is a structural thing. It's the second issue. We're trying to get a whole lot of setup. By the time we get to issue four, everything's going to be bad and all will be lost. But all in all, four slices of meatloaf for Empire number two. Valerio Shiti is the artist, and mm-hmm. Valerio is so good. No one has ever drawn the swordsman looking cool until now. And the swordsman was created by Jack Kirby, so that should tell you a little something about how good Shiti's art is. Um, it is a little spendy, four ninety nine. Still recommend it. It's worth the price of admission. Got a question for you. We do talk Good about sense. we do talk about um, crossover events, big events like this, and mm-hmm. the need to buy all the other crossovers. Now, this week we get uh, Empire Captain America. We also mm-hmm. get uh, Empire Savage Avengers with Symbiote and uh, Conan on the Moon. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be like absolutely necessary to buy these other books to en- enjoy the story, or is this one of those that? Uh, because these others are miniseries and not tied into the regular Captain America story or the regular Savage Avengers story that um, these are kind of buys if you're interested stuff or, or what's going on? Going by the Marvel model uh, in recent crossovers, I would say that they're not going to be absolutely necessary to the experience. I feel like they will be Captain America scenes that aren't in the story. What we see so often with these big crossovers these days is you have the big story that's a spine, your six or eight or nine issues of, say, Secret Wars. But if you want to know, hey, where's She-Hulk? Back in the day, you'd have a panel of She-Hulk going, boy, I sure am She-Hulking it up over here. Now She-Hulk gets her own three-issue limited that you can read Mm -hmm. that expands on the themes of your empires or your Secret Wars or your your uh, Civil War II, whatever it is that you're doing, your Age of Ultron. And that book sort of stands alone, even though the other story, you know, the basic Empire spine has to be there for it to make sense. If I were to guess, that's probably what we're going to get again. We're going to get these three-issue arcs or two-issue arcs of something that if you read them all, you'll get a bigger story. Mm-hmm. If you only read the ones you're interested in, you'll get a main story and a little side story here and there, and it'll fit together. But I don't think you're going to need to, and I don't intend to read each and every Empire crossover. Aww. Can you at least promise that this week on the Major Spoilers website, you'll review Empire number three? Sure. I can do that tomorrow. All right. Or the next day. There you Depends go. on my mood. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Empire number two from Marvel Comics. Uh, out this week... From uh, uh, DC Comics, it's Legion of Superheroes, number seven from Brian Michael Bendis and Ryan Sook. Uh, This is the start of the second arc of the story. Um, For those of you that are going to listen to this week's Legion Clubhouse, episode number 80, there's a big discussion on Dawnstar. And Matthew had asked me a question in the Legion Clubhouse about Dawnstar here uh, in this current series. Uh, So there's a little bit of crossover going on between these two episodes uh, I did take a look and see how Dawnstar is portrayed in this series, and she still has a lot of Native American, um, uh, I guess, vibe to her costume, uh, but it's not buckskin and tassel, for those of you who are wondering. But it's easy to spot her when you're looking at a page of 50 heroes to spot the one that is Dawnstar. So I'll just say that. Also, interestingly, 
this week's Legion of of uh, Legion Clubhouse episode is about a peaceful transition of power or lack thereof. And interestingly, Legion of Superheroes number seven, it's time for the very first president election. And this is kind of surprising to Cosmic Boy because he thought he was going to be in charge for life. And he's got problems because Brainiac is always trying to counter him and override him and doesn't follow directions. And so then we get uh, um, uh, Ultra Boy who says, maybe it's because you're not a really good leader. Therefore, I should be leader of the Legion of Superheroes. And let's have a friendly spirited debate for the entire issue about how uh, and who should be president of the Legion of Superheroes. And we finally do get a vote and we finally do get to see an answer and we finally get to see repercussions of that vote in this issue. Uh, also a little bit of stuff about uh, Superboy being in the future and when he's not supposed to be and is he or is he not truly a member of the Legion of Superheroes and what does uh, R.J. Brand, the president of the United Planets, think about all this stuff. It's all covered in the Legion of Superheroes number seven. So what's bad about this? Well, um, Rancic's art is fine. As with any Brian Michael Binda stuff, some people really hate Brian Michael Binda stuff because he tends to get wordy. And there does tend to be a lot of wordy meander that goes on in in this issue. I'm not saying that it's worse than usual or less than usual, but there are some moments where I was like, and eh, we could have cut these three panels and said the same thing in one panel. Um, but that's just, you know, that's a par for the course, I guess. The other thing is, and it's the problem that I have with this incarnation of the Legion of Superheroes is from the very first issue we are introduced to 50 Legion members and everybody has to have something to say. It seems like in every single issue. And I don't think that that's the right way to introduce and build up the Legion uh, series. I think start out with 10 if you want, and then slowly build up from there and break people off into their own little missions. Uh, But that's not what's going on here. Everybody seems to be involved all the time. There tends to be a lot of yelling and screaming, between the kids and the teens and whatnot. Uh, and that's, uh, that's okay. Um, it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but I kind of find it problematic, but still Legion of superheroes. Number seven, everybody's trying to figure out what the heck is an election because some, some of the members come from planets that don't have anything like this. Uh, they don't know whether they're supposed to cast a vote. They don't know who they're going to vote for. We do find out by the end of the issue. It's still a good read. I'm giving this three and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. Legion of Superheroes number seven out this week from DC Comics. Also digital. It's $3.99, not $4.99 like that Empire. Huh. Hmm. Now let's take a let's take a look in a different direction. Let's go take a look at Scout Comics. Uh Oh, somebody's getting an alert. Yeah, sorry about that. Let's take a look at Scout Comics and Atlantis wasn't built for tourists. Hey, this is from Eric Palicki. This is a. uh, this is, uh, what's her name? Aaron, uh, is it Aaron Pilecki's, uh, brother? Adrian Pilecki? Adrian Pilecki, sorry, yeah. Oh, the actress? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And he does listen to the show, so hi, Eric. If you want to come on the show, just reach out. Hey. So, uh, yes, I read Atlantis Wasn't Built for Tourists, number one, um, from Scout Comics, writer Eric Pilecki, artist Wendell Cavalcanti. And um, I I didn't know what I'll, what I was getting into uh, with this. Um, the story starts out with a uh, a, a person walking on a uh, country highway when suddenly this car almost runs him over. It turns out this lady is drunk, 
uh, but the lady crashes, and then he helps this woman uh, to get to a hospital. Uh, there he meets the sheriff, and it's got a it's got this real kind of uh, maybe slightly friendlier than uh, Rambo First Blood kind of feel. It's like the obviously the sheriff wants to know what this wanderer is doing. And the wanderer is like, oh, just passing through, just not telling you anything relevant, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and for about a, you know, it's like some weird stuff happens. And for the majority of the comic, you're like, or I was like, am I supposed to mistrust the locals? Am I supposed to mistrust this wanderer person? Um, who, who's, the, who's the threat here? Uh, and then weird supernatural stuff starts happening and it's like, oh, it turns out it was this. And then other stuff happens. Other supernatural stuff happens. And I was like, oh no, turns out it was something completely different. Like this book that I've been reading is something else entirely. And it actually did surprise me. There's some uh, really nice hints in the art as you start out. Um, mainly uh, as far as like tattoos and things i'm i'm being kind of general about it i don't want to spoil it because sure. it doesn't come out for at least two one weeks. more week if yeah, not two, two weeks. more weeks. august august 5th yeah so i don't i don't want to spoil it too much but if you like it's like i don't know where this like a lot of the time i'll sit here and i'll be like i don't know where this comic is going and that's a bad thing but with this comic all the stuff they've thrown into the mix, I'm just like, I don't know where this comic is going, and I like it. Um, it, it appears, you know, it's it's rare that the end of a number one issue will actually surprise me. Um, you know, you'll have stuff like, it's like, oh, look at my weird, it's like, oh, we live in this fantasy space world. Turns out, it was Earth all along and the first issue, right? And it's like, yeah, we I mean, we've seen that. And it's not like this one does anything like too out of the ordinary. Um, or rather that that the uh, that it doesn't draw from tropes that we've seen before. Obviously, every individual piece of this we've seen before. But uh Atlantis what Atlantis wasn't built for tourists, number one. Um places everything in a really interesting, surprising kind of setup and makes me want to know i had to like go back to the beginning and reread what everybody said to be like were they hints like should we have known all along that this was happening and that's rare for a single issue of a comic uh so i'm gonna give it four slices of meatloaf like the art a lot um really uh solid all you know as like character design is good you can tell who everybody is at all times mm-hmm. um and uh you know there's like cool explosions and things so, yeah, I would say definitely check it out if you are, especially if you're, like, taking a, a break from Capes and Tights. Um, Atlantis wasn't built for tours, number one. Uh, m- might surprise you uh, and, and might get you hooked. Very, very cool. Thank you for that, uh, Rodrigo and Matthew. Thank you for your look. And uh, listeners, if you want to check out more reviews or more thoughts of what we think about comics, recommendations for comics, or just want to find some comic tidbits Make sure you head over to Majorspoilers.com, reviews, news, and uh, other cool things every single day of the week. Oh, Rodrigo, it is yes. July 28th, and you know what okay. that means. 
Do I? Yes. Winter is going to be here before we know it. Uh, Yes. And, you know, the worst time to prep for your winter wearing weather gear is when it's windy and wet and cold. So here's my suggestion to everybody. Go over to isotoner.com or totes.com, T-O-T-E-S.com. I don't know if they sell my goats over there, but go to isotoner.com or totes.com and start stocking up on the clothes that you will need to keep you dry and warm this winter. It might be mittens, might be the cool. I, I like the mittens where the it flips up and you got access to your fingers. Those mm-hmm. are my favorite kind of mittens. I will say that Isotoner does have things like slippers and stuff that oh, yeah. you might want to have during the summer as well. Yeah, yeah. But uh, here's the best part: whether you're buying for for winter to come or the summer that is still here for a little bit longer. Maybe you just need slippers because you're just tired of wearing bare feet around the house um, or having bare feet. You wouldn't be wearing bare feet. Come on. What kind of monster are you? Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. When you go to isotoner.com or totes.com, when you check out, use the checkout code major, M-A-J-O-R, and get 25% off your order. There you go. Right there. Thank you, Isotoner and Totes, for helping to support this show. Uh, the other thing that happens right around this time is we need to get started prepped for the most wonderful season of the year. And that's Halloween. <laughs> now I say that, and I know Matthew's like, are you kidding me? Halloween's not for at least two more months. I don't say anything. I have no idea what time <laughs> is right now. Yeah. They're like, Hey, your kid's going back to school in three weeks. And I'm just like screaming into an existential void. Yeah. So. I think, I think we all are. Here's, here's the thing. We try to plan this show. And I've said this multiple times. We plan, we try to plan this show a year in advance so we can make sure that we have access to the books that we need access to, uh, that we're either, you know, buying those or contacting the publishers so that we can, can get those review copies. And so we're working, we try to work a year in advance. Okay. About every December, I'm like, okay, Matthew, let's run through this. Let's get suggestions from Rodrigo and from other people, uh, so that we can prep this show. And one of the things that we do when we prep this show is we look at, okay, what are the comic book movies that are supposed to be coming out? In this next year. Right. And this week, had there been a reality that we could live in, <laughs> we probably would be watching that Morbius movie. Had had movies still existed. <laughs> so uh, this week, I reached out and said, hey, let's read some, some Morbius comics because Morbius is coming to the Morbius. movie theaters. And we want to check this Morbius. stuff out. And so Matthew's like, oh, I know. Vampire Tales Volume 1 that you can get on Kindle or Comixology right now. That collects the first three issues of the Vampire Tales magazine from the 1970s. This would be 1973 uh, through 75, I want to say. Is that correct, Matthew? Uh, I believe Vampire Tales actually started in 72. Oh, okay. Exactly. So 72, whatever, whatever that is. Uh, we've, we've decided that we would go back in some classic Morbius stuff. And uh, I got to say, this is, this is the kind of comic books that I think about in the, in the seventies, when you say seventies comic books, <laughs> I want to think about women running from haunted houses or I, I guess the, the, the meme is women running from houses. So if you go and look at, at uh, romance novels or, you know, Harlequin books or a lot of books from the seventies, it's always these women in like nightgowns running away from spooky houses. Yep. And you can find a whole, whole you know, meme on this thing. And that kind of wispy, that kind of wispy, dreamy, foggy, 
kind of art is present in every single comic that we read in Vampire's Tales Volume 1. <laughs> it's all this, you know, it's supposed to be gothic horror. Some of it is true time period gothic. Uh, others sure. is modern day when we look at uh, um, uh, Morbius, the living vampire, and Z- uh, Satana. Not Zatanna, but Satana, the devil's daughter. Yep. Um, and we just get that that art. It's all in black and white, and it's just a little bit more harsher language, a little bit maybe a, a, a few uh, naked peoples maybe popping up here and there in this yep. in this series. Uh, a lot of drug references. Yes, Gerber does that. Um. <laughs> and I found this fascinating on so many different levels. Here's the thing. I am a huge proponent of any 70s Marvel Curtis comic uh, magazine. Because when I was young, I accidentally stumbled on a trove of Tales of the Zombie. Oh, yeah. And Vampire Tales came out at the same time. It was 73. You were right. Vampire Tales came out at that same time. There's also Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. Mm -hmm. There was a six-issue Dracula series. All of these books are just incredible because they're so weird. They feel just like, I mean, these three issues feel like 17 magazine, except instead of David Cassidy, it's vampires. Oh yeah. Everything you wanted to know about vampires is in this thing. There's text pieces about the history of the vampire. There's pictures of here's Count Orlock from Nosferatu. And not only are they black and white, they're gorgeous black and white. Pablo Marcos does that first uh, story. Morbius story, yeah. Yeah, and then you get into the Satana stories, and I believe those are Esteban Morota. All of these characters, and a lot of these uh, guys came out of the Philippines in the 70s, Nestor Redondo and Redondo Studios. But all of these just gorgeous pencil artists going nuts all over the page. I, I don't know, Rodrigo. I There's found some this, John Romita here, too. Yeah, I just find this fascinating to look at this stuff in the black and white and still be able to say, oh, well, this is the color this would be, or this would be the color that would be, even when Morbius is sinking his teeth into somebody because he's, you know, overcome with bloodlust. And then the next panel, he's like, oh, my God, what have I done? Um, Morbius does not talk like that. Morbius the, is from Brooklyn. Every, everybody, everybody in this in this book talks like Morbius that. Morbius is like, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> Rodrigo, what, what do you think about this art in this book? Because that's I think that's the main attractor. Did that you is... miss me, kids? Oh, there's Ashley <laughs> yeah, yeah, Victoria Robinson. <laughs> How'd you save Christmas? Oh, boy. I uh, had a couple sternly worded conversations. Nice. With the white star line? I know how that works. I'm a, look, I'm a very grumpy white lady, and my white lady powers came out. Not unlike Morbius's. Yes. Yay. We were just talking about the art. So, <laughs> so, Rodrigo, please, please share about your thoughts on the, on the, on the, more, on the vampire art in this book. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's really fantastic not just the the morbius because this book is not just so the, the top billing in the book goes to morbius and satana but um in fact there are lots of smaller vampire stories and each of them is drawn by a different person yep. um although you know we do go back to some artists and it's all really fantastic because this is 70s marvel black and white comics that are meant to be black and white, right? Not comics that are meant to be in color that have then been, uh, that aren't put in, into like right, a right. basic edition or I, I forget what those editions are yeah, called. Yeah, those phone book editions. Just, yeah. Um, so 
you know, all of the all of the shading is there. All of the there's just like something about these this style of comic that they're meant to be dark and they're done exclusively in ink, right? It's just mm-hmm. all that that's it. There's just like you maybe get a little bit of grayscale here and there, but not much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just looks great. It looks great for horror stuff. It looks great for um like the character designs like have to be strong because you you can't differentiate like babes by by what color hair they have so they have to look different uh sometimes you don't get that here but a lot of the time you do um and yeah it's just like it's just such a such an excellent example of that medium of like black and white comics doing horror which is something they do very well right you can just Mm -hmm. see like the influence of horror comics prior to this in this and really kind of a in a lot of ways kind of an elevation of the form um and also you know it's it's there's there's lots of lots of hot ladies in it oh that helps ashley what'd you what'd you think of the art in this uh this vampire tales so I really loved this book in a way that I was uh, not emotionally prepared for. <laughs> I fell in love with this movie last year called The Love Witch, which is a throwback to, I guess, like pseudo-Satanist witchcraft movies made in the 60s and 70s. So she's mostly mm-hmm. like a naked babe with winged eyeliner and dark hair who entraps men with her wiles and feeds them to the devil. And this gave me that, but also with Spider-Man things that I recognized. Mm-hmm. So from panel one, and it opens uh, in Los Angeles, and there's like a gorgeous Gidget-esque Manson girl who he follows for the first uh little story arc i was like this is great i am all in on this if this were made today it would be deeply problematic but it's not so i love it and and the art does carry a lot of that because everybody looks like these beautiful waifs um with with anatomy that defies gravity throughout but they are posited against these real monsters and the vampires look appropriately gruesome uh and as somebody who loves what we do in the shadows which embraces all of the vampire archetypes it was really fun to read uh a lot of the i i guess uh i don't want to say b level right because i don't like to say that a character is a lesser tiered character than another but sort of like the 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 um supporting characters in the story and then yeah, yeah. it's gorgeous it's yeah a beautiful oh. book so a couple of they don't make them like this no more well yes no they don't uh that's because we don't have like roy thomas and uh let's see uh Cur- no kirby is not credited stan lee's got a couple of stories in here um gardner uh, fox is in this i think steve ditko is in here i think referenced steve at one point oh steve gerber is referenced in here yeah Oh, you know, all Stevens look the same to me. I know we do. I'm sorry. (laughs) Here's the thing, though. We have said the word comic book multiple times. Mm -hmm. And I know people are probably scratching their head going, wait a minute. 1970s, this is still comic code authority. And you guys are talking about naked ladies and drugs and extreme violence where vampires are biting people on the neck and people are buried alive and all these spooky things that are happening. How did this pass (laughs) the comic code authority? And the answer is because this isn't a comic book. This is a magazine. What? And because it's a magazine, it bypasses the comic code completely. And so when you get Vampire Tales, yes, you are going to see 
a couple of, of stories of Morbius. You're going to see uh, Satana, the 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 uh, the devil's daughter. Uh, you're going to see all these gothic She's tales. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing: interspersed with those comics are these retrospectives of the ten worst vampire movies of all time. Everything you wanted to know about this uh, form of vampire or this form of vampire, and you've got these really long articles that are written out. So that you can say, well, there's other content in here besides comics. So therefore, it's a magazine. Therefore, it can bypass the Comic Code Authority. And that means we can put Marv Wolfman's name on the cover and not get the uh, the, the Comic Code Authority on our butts and say, no, you can't do that because they did. And yeah. so that, I think, is an important thing that we need to say here so that people just don't think that this is just a regular old comic that somehow Stan Lee got around the censors uh, to put out. And yes, folks, you're saying this is a loophole. This is a technicality. And, and by Jimmy, it is. And it sure did work. Yep. Did. Welcome to publishing. Yeah. The thing that's interesting is aside from the Marvel monster group logo that pops up on some of the covers, these aren't identified as Marvel comics, right? Uh, they are, they are published by magazine management and the Marvel comics group, but they would not be in the same place in the same spinner racks and the same, you know, racks that you would find your Marvel comics in mm -hmm. 1973. These were actually in the stores alongside your Warren magazines, your Eeries and your creepies and things that were aimed at an older, possibly more sophisticated audience. Yes. So just kind of, a, a kind of give you a look at late seventies, early eighties for me growing up. I remember our local, I forget what the guy's name was. It was a locally owned grocery store, just a little small, you know, shed of a store. But he had a Bob's small IGA. No, no, it was not even branded. Uh, Peaks. The guy's name, last name was Peak, and so it was Peaks uh, Grocery, um, right across the street from my friend Mike's house. So we would go over there all the time. We'd buy little bits of candy. We'd have a dollar, and we'd try to see how much how much candy we could get for a dollar. Um, but they had a little magazine rack for a time, and so yes, down on the bottom row, you had a few comics. But then on the top row, you had some nudie comics, right? So that was the top, or top, top row to where you could just see the name of the magazine, but you couldn't really see anything unless somebody... But the idea of that, that, that tiny humans couldn't reach it? Exactly. Exactly. That's so funny. Us hysterical. Oh, no. I mean, even, even if you went to the Barnes & Noble, uh, not Barnes & Noble, but uh, the B. Daltons, uh, yeah, all the, all the dirty <laughs> magazines were up on the highest, highest portion of the uh, magazine stalls so that little kids couldn't reach up there. But right I in front of that. the right in front of the nudie <laughs> magazines, literally right in front of the nudie magazines. I remember that's where Vampirilla was. That's yeah. where Heavy Metal was. Sure. That's yeah. where the Savage Tales of Conan was, because I was always fascinated by looking at these. And I remember the first time a kid, a classmate brought one of these to 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 school. I was like, oh, you got nudie magazines. And he's like, no, these are comics. Look, but they got naked ladies in. them. Um, and so it was really weird for me to kind of figure out that, no, this isn't. This isn't the adult magazine content, but at this time, even partial nudity in comic book form was still a little bit too risque to put down onto the lower shelves where the youngins might be able to get their hands on it and corrupt them. So, yeah, very, very fascinating. So if you want some history of vampire stuff, uh, there's a lot of text stuff that you can read. I'll be honest. I looked at the titles of these, looked at the uh, spooky Bella Lugosi pictures and then moved on. Um, because I wanted to read me some, some comics. The other thing that I think you're going to find when you read this is this is a true anthology, uh, series. Yes. Yeah. So you're going to get a lot of different tales in here. A lot of them have that weird, creepy, eerie ending or twilight zone type ending where there's a twist 
where, oh my gosh, I've been a vampire all along and I didn't know it. Um, or, hey, uh, you're actually a vampire and I thought you were dead as a real person, but you're back and now you're marrying my sister or whatever. Um, no, your sister's a werewolf. There were those kind of things in this book that, that you know, you might like, if you like those weird twist endings, you're going to get a lot of that. If you, if you like a tight four page comic about monsters. Yes. Did, did know, all like of those stories four, work four for to you? 10 pages, I would say. Did you like all of those stories or were there is a lot of this like, man, just give me back uh, to the Marvel monsters. No, definitely not. I actually enjoyed the side stories more than the Marvel, like the, the than the headliners, um, just because uh, I so I, I feel like reading this, I'm like Morbius is a Spider-Man villain, and mm-hmm. um, I don't know what else Satana was doing, but I know she's like a Doctor Strange character a lot of the time. This is yep. actually her first appearance. Okay, uh, well that's yeah. good. Um, but it's like, I, I, I don't know. I feel like Morbius is a Spider-Man character and they can't change him. Right. So it's like Morbius is just running around being sad and biting sexy ladies and, and anyone and, and like a, a, a monster and like a bunch of other things, a genie from um, a like crystal ball. Yeah. Fighting a cult. And it's like, that's all cool. But although. Also, although a story was advanced, we don't really learn anything new about Morbius from these. Yeah. His origin is somewhere else. And at the end of this volume, nothing has really changed about Morbius because like his whole like, oh, I have started to care about people stuff is like that's like basic monster stuff. Right. And, and I think even in the Spider-Man issues, we would see that. Mm-hmm. So. It, you know, it, it was sometimes distracting for me to have a Morbius story that doesn't go anywhere. And I kind of felt like the Satana stories also didn't really go anywhere. It was just, here's an example of this character who is like a spooky seductress doing her thing. And for the Satana stories, at least I felt running into very little, like real opposition in that sense. Um, Whereas at least like the, you know, you're like, outer limits but with vampire stories and they're you know like kind of like your EC stories that were mm-hmm. scrunched in the middle where like here's a thing where a guy makes a deal with the devil ah the devil tricked them story over something actually happened yeah you know yeah well I, I do find it interesting because I did I do kind of remember an email exchange with Matthew where it's like hey we need to I would like to find some kind of Morbius uh, book and you're like oh yeah yeah vampire remember tales. when that movie was coming out I know this right year? Right. Oh, simpler times. I know the better times. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was really expecting, oh, yes, we're going to get some Spider-Man Morbius in here. And it was really weird because you open up the book and it's like, uh, why is Morbius falling from the sky? See Amazing Spider-Man number 100 kids or 101 or wh- whichever one it is. Uh, and it's like, oh, yeah, right. That's like the only reference to Marvel that you really get in here is when they say, go check out the Spider-Man books for more history on this. So I found that interesting. Uh, Matthew, uh, or Ashley, did you like the uh, the way that we get some some uh, anthology tales? And, and and Rodrigo said that he didn't like the fact that the main Marvel characters don't change, but you do get some people who are actually killing and being killed and buried alive. And their yeah, there's stakes here in a way that there wouldn't be if this were just a standard. Uh... <laughs> I didn't even mean it like that, but let's pretend that I did because that makes me seem very clever. High stakes. <laughs> Uh, I wish I was that smart. 
um, in a way that we wouldn't if this was a regular Marvel character, right? A uh, regular Marvel comic because of the Comics Code authority. And that was something that I actually thought really worked to its advantage. I do maintain that anthologies can work and can be powerful and can be really complex and interesting because they can do things that your typical comic doesn't do. And I think this actually illustrates that really well, but... Uh, like yourself, Stephen, I did not read the listicles here uh, because I have fine publications like Major Spoilers to tell me where the best vampires mm-hmm. of popular culture are. Exactly. Exactly. Matthew, thoughts on, on story-wise? You know, if you say to me, hey, is this a successful book? And my response is just going to be a list of names then you know that I believe that it's a good idea. So when I say to you, you know, Pablo Marcos, when I say Bill Elder, when I say Bill Everett, when I say Wynn Mortimer, what this means is, oh my God, these are artists doing amazing work. There's a reprint in here from Steranko mm-hmm. that originally was in color, shows up here in black and white, and oh my God, it's a gorgeous story. Even the worst story for me in this arc, even, you know, and I read the little text pieces because how can you not? I love the fact that you'll have like a picture and then you'll have somebody going, hey, hey, I'm going to tell you about this story. Read on. I'm like, no, you just you you found that somewhere in your archive. Yeah. And you stuck that on the page. And now, you know, it's just sharp. As a magazine publisher, I got to wonder how many of these stills from Dracula, from Nosferatu and stuff were just sent to them for free. Uh-huh. They Probably do look as, like publicity. As, oh, interesting. promotional pieces for, because yeah. I, I, I used to work at a TV station and we'd get like folders full of stills from like random movies that were coming out that year. I mean, we and still get the digital versions of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah especially of movies that would come out that were being either reprinted or redone so it makes a lot of sense that dracula nosferatu as they enter the public domain or as companies like manage to secure the rights that they would send this to magazine editors well and definitely during this time period uh for at least matthew and i and really for a lot of kids growing up across america but we used to have uh friday or uh, after school movies uh is uh, not after school but uh, what were they called the afternoon movie on cbs used to do this uh then and they would have theme week so you would get monster week uh, you would get Godzilla week, you'd get Planet of the Apes week, et cetera. And then you also had, you know, all this, the quote unquote scary movies, uh, late Ooh. nights on Friday going into Saturday where they would have all of the, the Christopher Lee vampires. You would have, you know, uh, the, the, the devil dog and you would have all these things. So there was a huge growth in the seventies and eighties, especially for late night television to get some of these old movies back into circulation. And you're right, Rodrigo. More than likely, these people that were sending things out to promote their late night movies that were going to be on whatever local uh, affiliate channel would be would probably have that stuff and not give two craps about about it being printed, even if it didn't quite. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I will say looking at this is. Some of the some of the layout in here looks questionable at best. (laughs) <laughs> there are Part times when I look at this stuff and I'm like, wow, this looks like a bunch of high schoolers went to town and put this together. Particularly if you're reading something that was obviously a scan, right? Like not a particularly yeah, yeah. good scan where you can see the creasing. It it very much has that quality. But I, th- I think reading that in 2020, I actually found that to be quite charming. That's the thing. I mean, a lot of this was 
high schoolers or their equivalent, you you know, your Chris Claremonts and your guys in the Marvel they're, bullpen. Their emotional equivalents. <laughs> yeah, just sticking this stuff together. But wow. for me, my major complaint is the size of the book because it's reprinted at comic book size, which is, you know, at the time, like seven by 10. And it was originally printed magazine size. So like eight and a half by 11. So when it's reprinted in this issue, first of all, they do have to shrink it. But second of all, every single page has this hunk of dead space down at the bottom. Mm hmm. Because they took the wider page and just brought it down to the, you know, to the new width, but we're still printing it in a standard trade paperback size book. And so there's this huge gutter at the bottom and I just, I, I want to like play Sudoku in it or something. So even if I'm sitting there and going, that's a really gorgeous Pablo Marcos picture, you can almost see your boobies. Well, it's it's better than being cropped, <laughs> right? It's it's better than having the panel oh. being cropped or, you know, part of the gutter being cut away. Yeah, or you have that. Having them stretch it out to where it's the right width, but then it's all too tall. Which yeah, I've yeah. Seen as and well. you have that white space so you can write your notes about what you liked about this page or anything else that you have. Uh, by the way, uh, if you're getting this over at Comixology... Uh, this, they've got all three of the volumes there. And so you do get to see stuff and I think it looks really good, you know, very stark black and white stuff, uh, on these pages, but you're right. It still does have that white, uh, space down at the bottom. If you yep. want to try to get a print version of this, good luck. The one that I, that I saw was like 50 bucks, uh, for a volume one. Yeah. 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 It ain't cheap. And one thing that you will find in the reprints of the Curtis magazines is these reprints, Stephen has mentioned how there are some diaphanous gowns and some implications of, of nipplery. They have edited out some moments that were obvious, uh, usually upper body female nudity. So there are moments where you Ooh, go don't buy this book. Somebody added some inks to that. I remember reading this magazine and you could, but you know, that's also something that's changing times. In the same way of, hey, is Dawnstar still a character that you can get away with? Can you put, you know, a topless woman in a comic book? Should you put a topless woman in a comic book? What are you actually saying if you do try and put a topless woman in a comic book? I feel like sometimes that sort of bowdlerization, for lack of a better word, isn't always a terrible, terrible thing. No, but it's a, it's a, it's a thing that happens at, and obviously warrants a much, much bigger discussion, right? Like yes. right. when I, when I first read, uh, incredible Hulk number one, I, maybe not incredible. Wh where did the Hulk debut? Was it Hulk number one, 1962? Yeah. So he when I read, casually. when I read Hulk number one, it was a reprint and that Hulk was green. Mm -hmm. Right. Marvel went back and said, actually the Hulk has always been green up until um they decided writers that at marvel they decided you know what it's kind of cool that the hulk used to be gray and they brought that back but if you're like if somebody's like hey you know 11 year old kid the hulk used to be gray here's hulk number one and you're like no it wasn't you know there's like there are always politics to reprinting something oh yeah even and, today i mean and they... it's it's like this kind of ongoing conversation of like do we even reprint this do we change this I mean, the fact that they changed the format because they're not going to print a giant magazine, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like that. No, that's too hard. You want these vampire comics? We're going to shrink them. Yeah. You know, it's like that's that's kind of like this ongoing discussion about just kind of re 
like basically when you reprint stuff from the past and that goes for movies, video games or whatever, you know, do you put a warning up front and be like, hey, this didn't used to be, but it's hella racist now. Yeah. Um, well, we're, we're, we're doing that. We're seeing that play yeah. out in yeah. a really interesting way, I think. Well, and even, and, you, know, you know, going back to the revisionism, uh, we do see that because re-release Watchmen. Well, let's recolor it. Re-release uh, The Killing Joke. Let's recolor Sandman it. Sandman was the same way, too, for a long yeah. time. Let's recolor oh. it. And that has caused a lot of uh, division among comic fans. Yeah. Uh, so here's the weird thing, right? Everyone who's like, Jordan Lucas is always changing them Star Wars films. I just wish he'd leave it alone. <laughs> Guess what? Your favorite comic books, same thing's happening all the time. You just don't know it or you're not paying attention to it. So all right. this revision is always going on. Matthew, what and were you going to say? There's something that does pop up. You know, I find that when I'm looking for old, old, old comic pictures and you go in and you look at, say, a reprint, if Marvel or DC or somebody reprints a book from 1954, it doesn't look right when they recolor it, even though the color that we know only exists because the paper that they put it on was cheap as f mm -hmm. and it's actually coming apart. So. You know, the color that they have in that reprint may be true to what you got in 1942 or 1955. I still prefer to use the old one with the browned paper. And, yeah. or, or the purple or for that, Or for that matter, maybe literally impossible to reproduce be, because of the texture of the paper. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So oh, yeah, that's like what, that's... you can't. You literally can't unless somehow you had a perfectly pristine book. You took a picture of it like it was just like a literal scan. Mm -hmm. And then you put that on the page. And even then. Even then, you probably couldn't get a, a perfect reproduction of what was an accidental happenstance of a technique that was used at the time. Oh, yeah. We, exactly. we you know, on the Legion Clubhouse, which we referenced earlier, you can find more at Majorspoilers.com. Uh, we're looking at some of the original comics because we either have access to them or have them. And so we're seeing them at, in their original color. But if you go to Legion of Superheroes Silver Age Omnibus Number 1, where it's printed on better quality paper and shiny paper holy cow even though they're trying to use the exact same colors it looks totally weird and totally different to see it on that high higher quality paper so if anybody does get their hands on the original copies of vampire tales realize that you're going to have a different experience than those people who are going over and reading those collections over at comiXology.com yep all right of so course go ahead the originals One more. are expensive too they yes, cost they way are. too much Yes, 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 yes. Okay, bottom line, uh, Matthew, for you on Vampire Tales Volume 1. Uh, my bottom line is read this. Even if you don't speak English, you can read this comic, you can look at the storytelling, and you can go, holy crap, there's a whole bunch of really talented artists and Carmine Infantino in this. Uh, this is definitely a must-buy <laughs> recommendation for me, and I will say I may have skipped a story or two just because I was like, eh, it's getting late. I don't want to read these, but I sure will heck look at these pretty images and then get the uh, the, the the reveal on the final two panels. Uh, you can definitely do that without having to go into a lot of dialogue um, reading in this. So definitely worth checking out if you have the time. Uh, Rodrigo. Yeah, I would say definitely get it. Uh, it's just such a such a like mwah, beautiful snapshot of the time when it was created. Right. It's like everything that's going on here, the, the like really spectacular black and white art the uh marvel doing all this stuff to to dodge the code and and thus in the process adding all this extra stuff like a picture of uh 
was like Max Shrek as uh, Count Orlock, mm-hmm. and then like little thought word balloons that are like, "Hey kids, you'll read about me later on in the story," or whatever. You know, it's like it's just such a it's great art, great comics, but also such like a weird artifact. Uh, it's really worth picking up. And Ashley, you're going to get the final word this week. Woo! Came in late and gets to close out the review. I think if you have even a passing interest in anything that this book encompasses, whether that's vampires, babes, uh, murderous entertainment, comics, black and white art, uh, or really, really soft lines, it is definitely worth picking up. I I will admit I was I was not enthused when I saw this title uh, as what we were reading this week, and I had an absolutely delightful time reading. I was very, very impressed and surprised. All right. Well, speaking of exciting for next week, next week is the fade out act one. Oh, we're going into 1950s noir detective tales. This is a personal favorite of mine. I don't expect everyone else to like it. This is really good. In my opinion, we'll find out more next week uh, with, when we talk about the fade out act one right here on the major spoilers podcast. In the meantime, thank you so much everyone for uh, downloading listening and being a part of everything we do we call it the major spoilers experience and as part of that experience we want to hear your feedback so use the comment section at major spoilers to share your thoughts and reactions to this vampire episode i don't do accents so it's even better if you want to email us at podcast at major spoilers.com and don't forget you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Like I said, we will be back next week because we know that you love comics and we do too. And it's better than nothing, right? Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the man of podcast is copyright 2020 by major spoilers entertainment llc